0: I'm Josie, I've met many of you. I'm so glad Uh, my husband Max and I moved to Rhode Island from Indiana almost a year ago in August. And we have fallen in love with Rhode Island. It is the ocean state. We want to remind you what a beautiful state you have. And what a beautiful church you are. And it has felt just so, I, I can't even put into words what it's meant to be part of this community. And just want to honor Scott and Tiffany for the friends that they've become to us, their leadership, their integrity, the heart that they pastor with. We've even gotten to see their impact in the city with other leaders and pastors who rave about what they've contributed to the work of God here. And so we're just so grateful and thank you for welcoming us in and... um, it's really exciting too for us. If you know anything about us, we care a lot about small communities and a lot about youth, and it feels like what a privilege to be here during this special time at Wren where we're thinking about those things just in a different way. Um, and we've, it's interesting coming from different parts of the country and realizing that there's this, feels like this shift happening in our culture where we're trying to figure out what are we building toward, what's happening next. There's a lot happening. And in many ways, what's happening at Wren is part of a global conversation in the church to understand what God may be calling us toward in the future. And today, we're going to talk about how that relates to the next generation. So we feel like just a special work that's happening here and so privileged to be part of it. So thank you for that. Um, what we're going to do today will feel a little bit like the theme Sundays that we did last year where we chose a topic. And so the topic is the next generation and how the church and families come alongside and disciple them. Um, We're going to start with, there will be a few people sharing What is the state of this generation? What do we know? Um, Max will be sharing some statistics and we'll actually have one of our own youth share their perspective, which I think will be important. And then moving into, we've done, we have a team that's been working on this. We actually did a workshop uh, about a month ago to really begin to process how does this work? We looked at strategies from around the world that seem to be clues to what seems to be effective um, to, for serving the next generation. So we'll be sharing those things. I think you're going to really get a lot out of today, I hope. Um, but I wanted to start with prayer, if that's okay, just to invite God to speak to us in, um, in this moment. So Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the finished work of Christ on the cross and the resurrection and all that it has meant to me, to my family, to this church, to us. But Holy Spirit, would you come now? And would you speak to us? We want to be faithful to what you've called us to do And we want to see you move in the next generation. So God, we're standing in a place of intercession, asking God for you to do something here, in this place that we are, and in our world, to raise up a generation that seeks you, that knows you, that follows you in a beautiful way. So God, protect your work here. Just pray for unity, for peace, for courage, for joy. Thank you for the community that you're building and all that you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So for the last eight years, my husband and I have had the privilege of both raising our own teenagers and being part of youth ministry. Um, And that has given us the chance to hear the stories and hear the questions and see the lights come on in teenagers, and it has been a joy and a heartache. Um, that's just what it is right now, and and we are so passionate. If you have ever had the privilege of having a group of teenagers in your living room, worshiping and talking about the Scripture and their questions, it is awesome. And I hope you get to do that sometime because it, it, is, it is pretty great. But it's also led to questions that, Really, Max and I asked ourselves how do we raise children, really beginning at the beginning, and and teenagers that are prepared for what they are facing right now in the culture? How do we support, develop, encourage, build in them the faith to be in the culture, to be lights in the culture? and yet not succumb to the pressures of the culture, which are significant right now. And so early on, God gave me, um, one of my prayers was from Colossians 2. If you can show the verse there. Um, And it said this, I want, this is the new living, I want them to be encouraged and knit together by strong ties of love. I want them to have complete confidence that they understand God's mysterious plan, which is Christ itself. And if you're a parent and you look at those words, you're like, yes, wouldn't that be great that we have created an environment, a home, a community, where when students or children, youth are there, they feel encouraged because right now, there is a lot of discouragement, and we'll talk about the statistics somewhat about that, Um, that they are known and seen and loved, and they feel supported and also knit together by strong ties of love. And I've seen that happen in a peer group where they create a community of each other, which is a very beautiful thing and they need, but also within a church community where they feel, where they walk into a place where they feel seen and they're knit together. They have relationships, their gifts are recognized, and it feels like they're, they're part of us. And then the last part, I think is so important too is that they have confidence in the gospel. They know what their faith means. And even deeper than that, they know Jesus in a real way. Right. So I just feel like this this is really this verse has really become just a core prayer for me. I want them to be encouraged. I want them to be knit together. And I want them to know their faith and more importantly, to know their savior. And I would just encourage you, if you're a parent, just to pray this over your kids. And and um so we took some of these questions to a team and said, okay, what does this mean for us? And you're gonna hear what the outcome of what that workshop was, but really at the heart of it was this longing to go deeper as a community, as a church community. What would it take to create a church community that really disciples the next generation? And I mean, from beginning to young adult. That we we come alongside and do the, help them do those things that they know what it means to be part of the kingdom of God um, and I have my experience has been that when, when you begin to explain the fullness of the gospel that what happens inside of us when we get saved is meant to go everywhere we go and it transforms every place we go our work our calling, our ministry, our mission, everything, every relationship, including our relationship with creation, which is, I mean, that was our, we know the creator, who, who should care more about, and, and young adults really care about those things, um, where they feel, they understand the one another's and they see the gospel demonstrated in a community and lived out where we're not just getting ready for heaven, but as Jesus prayed, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, maybe not perfectly, but substantially as the gospel is lived out through our lives and also through their lives. And we're called to be on a rescue mission, to charge the gates of hell, to find those that are lost and to bring them into the healing power of Jesus. And that's very compelling for um, the next generation to be a part of. And that's also part of us reaching them. So, um, what does it mean to be to create a community where no child would ever walk away? They would be so knit together that it would be so compelling that they would want to continue and follow Jesus for the rest of their life. Um, so today is really an invitation for all of us in many ways to wherever we sit, to think about how we can be part of this mission to support Maybe those that are on the more front edge of this. Um, But I think it's an important moment, even to just increase our prayer for God, would you move in the next generation? So I think Max is up next. Thank you.
1: Amen, amen. Good morning, church. I love the church. Everything Josie said was true, we love it here, it's amazing, Uh, and I love sitting and worshiping with you, you guys are incredibly gifted and talented, Um, so thank you for inviting us to be in here and share with you. Um, I want to kind of start, I guess, by doing a bit of a um, disclaimer, trigger warning for all of you who are parents, um, whether you're empty nesters all the way down to single parents, Blended homes, broken homes, all of that. Um, this could be difficult uh, when we talk about what's uh, the trend and, and that sort of thing with kids these days. It, um, it affects all of us. And um, if your child lands in a, a statistic or a situation that's described, please don't leave hurting. Uh, pray that you would find somebody in the church body and practice one of the one another's. Ask for some prayer. Um, maybe share your story. The body of Christ is here for you. We desire that all would know and come uh, to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Um, just like it says in 1 Timothy two, three, and four, and then also, um, I think. To when we've all heard uh, Proverbs 22.6, uh, raise up a child in the way they should go. And we kind of had this expectation that I've done it and yet my child is hurting. Um, I think what Josie was saying, that this it's, it's a, a bigger effort, that we need a community together to do this. <clears throat> I think it's no surprise that, um, oh, here we go. Jeez, my phone. <laughs> I think it's no surprise that I'm asked to do some statistics. I feel like a statistic myself. Um, my wife and kids are in a different category than myself. Uh, I was in nine different schools, including high school, Um, Come from a single mom, you know, family, uh, government cheese, all of that. Um, So, you know, to be where I was in high school, starting a Bible club with my brother uh, in a secular school is kind of against all odds. And um, one of these areas of influence made a difference in my life and I think will uh, become apparent as I kind of talk through this. So the state of where we are today, uh, unfortunately, one in four American kids is going to be in a home that does not have two parents in it. As you kind of grow out from the United States, one in seven in Canada, and then um, it falls um, quite a bit. There are two-parent families all over the world. Um, like India would be like one of the next countries where it's one in 20 families has a single parent or one in 20 kids. But I would say that hope remains, um, and I'll get to that in a minute. We'll start with some um, stats for young women. There is a significant rise in hopelessness, persistent sadness, depression. Um, It's remarkable. It it was 36% of young women in 2011. Now it's 57%. It's so almost every other girl has a significant um, sadness in their life. One in three girls today is seriously considered attempting suicide. Um, and when I say these numbers, I want you to not, um, I guess, think about it as a number, but rather as a person and as you go about your your life, if you see a young person, you can kind of visualize that this might be one of those people and um, consider how you might approach a, a person who probably puts on a face but feels differently. I do tend to get emotional when I share some of these things. In this next one, I, I get really angry. Um, but one out of five girls has experienced sexual uh, violence in the last year. And it's not, much of a <clears throat> it's not much of a rise over the years. It's, uh, it's been a persistent problem here in America. Regarding drug abuse, um, it's pervasive. Half of all teens have misused a drug. I would say only one other thing, that in Rhode Island, it's a bit unique. Um, 18 to 25-year-olds will uh, misuse drugs 38% more than the national average. So Rhode Island has a significant issue with drug abuse. But what about youth and faith? I think that's why we're here. Um, It has so much to do with all the other statistics. The big number is 75% of young people are leaving high school and they're leaving the church and they're leaving their faith. One of the reasons uh, was cited as intellectual skepticism I could go on about this quite a long time, um, but we will talk about some other ways that, that we can uh, address this. <clears throat> in the 1990s, 90% of all of Americans identified as Christian. That might be shocking to some of the digital natives in the room. Um, and by digital natives, I mean those who do not know anything other than being connected to a phone or smartphone. Um, and it's, it is interesting, though, as I go about talking about these numbers, Uh, We're tracking statistics over time, but uh, those who are, I think, 16 um, have been alive as long as the iPhone, and so the statistics aren't painted well enough for 20-somethings to have been really the full picture. I think in the next 10 or so years, we'll get a, a big picture of what life looks like for digital natives as they get into adulthood. So really, we have to look at trends significantly. So the 90s, it was 90%. In 2020, only 64% would say they're Christian. 29% um, of those who would say they're unaffiliated, we now call nuns. So you could say almost a third of Americans are nuns. Um, And that's almost doubled since 07 or the smartphone era. The majority of those who do not identify with faith uh, 64% of them have left the faith. So they started with some sort of religious upbringing and now they have nothing. The, um, I think the statistic around that is that most of those who were raised in the faith, almost uh, two-thirds of them left before 18. So it's really important that we address how we connect young people. So how do we raise up the next generation uh, a Fuller Seminary study found that uh, one of the most important factors, whether a young person leaves the church or remains, is whether they have a safe place to express their doubts and concerns. And that was in the home or in a more traditional setting, a youth ministry. Another study found that when both parents are faithful and active in church, 93% of their children were the same. That's incredible. On the flip side, the 15 to 17-year-olds who did not have any religious background or upbringing at home, only 1% would enter adulthood with faith. These are numbers uh, described by University of Notre Dame sociologist Christian Smith, who calls the uh, parental influence nearly deterministic. But by the numbers, I said hope remains... A lot of the the parents who might be feeling discouraged and against all odds out there, like my mom, um, would take some hope in this. Social researcher and youth ministry expert, Jonathan McKee, who I've um, been privileged to attend many of his seminars, he would say that if you can connect five adults to a young person's life, it'll shape their trajectory. And in my situation, that was my mom, two youth pastors, a uh, traveling minister who made it his mission to connect to young people throughout uh, several states, and then um, a leader on one of my uh, mission trips who was really an adventure buddy and spiritual influence. But that was five. There's an African proverb, of course. It takes a village. We have much better. We have the church. And we have small community. I'd like to turn it over and hear from one of our own, Grace Michelson.:
2: Hi, I'm Grace Michelson, and I'm a freshman at Cranston East. Um, I would say that I have zero um, Christian friends at East. I have some friends that go to church, but it's kind of hard to see them going to church if their parents didn't make them. Um, The crazy thing about East is that some of the kids there don't even have a basic understanding of what Christianity is. I mean, for example, something got brought up in class the other day about Noah and the Ark, and they were comparing it, and one of my friends goes, oh yeah, like Jonah and the Ark, and I was like, well, it's actually Noah and the Ark, but I mean, she had a basic basic idea of what that was she knew that there was like a guy and he had this boat and he put a bunch of animals on it but i think that's as far as her knowledge extended she didn't even know what his name was um and one of my other friends was like no in the ark what's that and i was like you know the guy with the boat and the animals in the Bible. And she goes, oh, I've never heard of that before. And it kind of just blew my mind because my dad said when he was little, like, maybe his friends weren't Christian, but they knew the basic Bible stories. They might go to church with their family. And at East, people just don't have any reference for what Christianity is. Um, I think one of the common struggles that people in my generation face, that I see a lot of with my friends is insecurity. Um, I mean, so many friends are relying on like the opinion of others and just what others think and they do things, They give in to peer pressure and that sort of stuff because they feel like they need to prove something but I've always grown up knowing that God loves me for who I am he made me this way and I don't need to prove anything to other people but my friends aren't like that and I feel like that's one of the biggest struggles with people in my generation and that's why sometimes people do things that aren't lining up with my morals or just what we think about Christianity. Um, and my hopes for this generation is, you know, just that, I mean, a revival at this point is kind of the only thing that's going to save us. Um, So, that's one prayer. And then another would be that the people who are Christians in this generation, that God will give us courage to be a light to others in our school. Because sometimes it's really hard when you're just feeling alone at your school. Like, you don't have any other Christian friends. But yeah that's my prayer
3: and that's my daughter so um, I've been tasked this morning with uh, giving some theology about uh, Christian ministry and if you know anything about me um, sometimes I get nerd nerdy about theology and so I'm giving a I'm given sort of the uh, the homily. I won't speak 40 minutes or anything, but um, I'll be up here for a little bit longer than the last couple, So just so you know where we're going. Um, to start, uh, would you agree with the statement? The central call of God on all of our lives as believers is to know God and to make disciples. Is that a fair, fair assessment? Okay, now, um, when we uh, look in Scripture... Uh, and, and, and look at what it, that's saying, is um, teaching and discipleship are not the same thing. Now, discipleship includes teaching. If you read the Great Commission, it says, go make disciples and teach them. But there's, discipleship has this idea of um, making disciples, which is followers. Um, and discipleship includes teaching, but it's kind of more fuller and, and, and more abundant. Um, Discipleship is God's plan of people following and living into Jesus and his ways. Fair enough? Okay. And with that, the discipleship of children is obedience to what God has said. This is for us. As we will see, it's a mandate that we disciple the kids in our midst. Now, just because it's mandatory doesn't mean that it's also not full of joy because You got both of that. So last week I was studying what, you know, what does God's word have to say about this topic? Um, And uh, I was like, there's got to be something in here that I can, you know, some scripture that I can pull out. And as I uh, studied, um, I found this stat, that kids are clearly woven into the fabric of God's plans over 80, no, over 8,000 times throughout scripture. Um, Actual words referencing kids or the family are used over 8,000 times. It's hard to believe. So there's a lot to say about kids' ministry. So uh, buckle your seats because we're going to hit all 8,000 in the next few minutes. (laughs) Come on, we can do it. Actually, I did a fair amount of reading and praying and studying the last couple of weeks And found this one particularly really good article by a woman named Michaela White, who's the executive director of um, this thing called International Network of Children's Ministry. She's a scholar, and she's a pastor, and she's passionate about kids' ministry. Um, And I think what she did, she really nailed down and put into words um, other things that I had heard and, and what I believe God was putting on my heart already and wants to share with us as we look at the theology of kids' ministry particularly the why we disciple our kids. So full disclosure, a lot of the material comes from um, her writing. I'm going to steal her quotes and then claim them that they were my own. Um, I'm joking about that. You should laugh more. Okay. Um, So this morning we're going to do a quick survey of what the Bible does have to say about children, but we're going to uh, take the 8,000 and boil them down into about four. Um, Four big scriptures, and there obviously is a lot more to say, but four big scriptures of why we do kids' ministry. And I'm mainly looking at the Old Testament because that's mainly where God was instructing his people about his designs and his strategies and his systems, for lack of a better word, to build community and a people and a nation that were devoted to him and reality that just works and is just plain successful. Mm. Okay. So I'm going to start with uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6 starting at verse 4. Now, Deuteronomy 6, this uh, passage is known as the Shema. Many of you may know this if you have any Jewish backgrounds or have friends that are Jewish. This is the central prayer of the Jewish faith. If you've ever been to a a bar mitzvah or a Seder, they repeat this uh, verse repeatedly. Um, uh, it's, It's recited in nearly all Jewish religious services. And it goes like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's the main part. But then it goes on. Verse five, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. I'm gonna stop there. Now, in looking at kids' ministries, Deuteronomy 6 has kind of become this like this passage that has been the base of you know, a family ministry perspective. Specifically, the perspective that parents are the primary spiritual influence in a child's life. And that is true, especially when we look at it from where we sit, 21st century Western or American um, families. However, if you look at Deuteronomy 6, it wasn't written to a handful of people or one family. It was was a message to the whole community. It was not originally spoken to individual family unit, like, okay, this is how you need to raise your kids. Okay, let me go on to the next family. This is how you need to raise your kids. It was spoken to the whole community, or we'll call it the whole family, of God. It was spoken to the whole nation of Israel at once as a collective mandate. That means that single people, empty nesters, orphans, college and high school students, senior citizens, you name it, are all included in this mandate for faith to be passed on to the next generation. We're all part of it. Our children's spiritual well-being is the shared responsibility of the entire family of God. When I say our children, I'm not talking about my kids, I'm talking about our children. Our, ch- our children, however many they may be. We find this idea of why, when in, their, in the early story of Jesus' life in the New Testament, Mary and Joseph were visiting Jerusalem and what happened when they were coming back? They lost Jesus. How do you lose Jesus? How do you lose a child? And they had gone on for a couple of days. How could this have gone on before they noticed it was gone? Because their community was responsible for Jesus, right? If you were here last week when we dedicated baby promise, so cute, so cute. Pastor Scott talked about this. We give promise over to God. Um, And by doing that, we accept responsibility as the church family all of us, not just the ones who work downstairs or with the youth group, we, uh, as the church family, to raise up our kids in the love and fear of the Lord. To raise up our kids. In Desmond and Chioma's, it's Desmond and Chioma's responsibility, and it's all our responsibility. Right? Really, kids' discipleship is kind of. Like what was said, From the time they're born until the time they're adults are out of the house. Which is why we do weekly youth group and the first and third Sunday Ren Kids ministry. And why we feel so strongly about and are working hard at incorporating youth, kids, and all age demographics to come and share their unique perspectives and unique gifts to the neighborhood gatherings and small communities that we're going to be starting in May. Now, this sounds a little trite, but if we don't really exemplify this in what we do, then we're missing the work of truly becoming the healthy, growing church body God wants. That kids are just as important as family members as the person leading worship or facilitating discussion or teaching. That's our hope in what we're going to look like if we don't already. Okay, the second big scripture, sticking in the Old Testament. Joshua 4, starting at verse 19. Now, the context of this is the Israelites had been slaves for hundreds of years uh, under the Egyptians, and they got free, and they were actually going into the land that God had promised them from generations before. And the, the line of demarcation was actually the Jordan River. So they had just crossed over the Jordan River and were going into the promised land. Um, and they set up a monument. And it says, on the 10th day of the first month of the people, of, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of, of Jericho. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. He parted the Jordan River just like he had done to the Red Sea. Um, He did this so that all peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful so that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now, obviously, this wasn't, just about a decoration, right? You know, we're going to put this here and, you know, it'll be cool looking. And then the rocks, there was nothing special about the, the rocks or the stones. They weren't holy stones, right? But what it pointed to was, what they pointed to was, this was for a very specific purpose. It was to create an environment that prompted questions in the younger generation about God. With this environment being created, the community of Israel was reminded once again, of what they were commanded in Deuteronomy. They needed all of God's people to be ready to tell all of their children all about God. In sticking with Joshua, another main point of Joshua 4 is that they, and we in turn, create an environment that prompts awe and wonder in the younger generations about God. That's what we ought to do. We need to make that space that invites them to ask questions about his faithfulness. It's never a waste of our time and our resources to create spaces that nurture a child's curiosity about their creator. You can actually say that's true about all of us, no matter what age demographic we're in. I want to be more curious about my creator. Okay. Okay. Then there's the third one, Psalm 8. And I'm just going to read two verses from Psalm 8. You may have read this before. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Verse two, for, uh, verse two for me is really one of those parts of the Psalms that, you know, I've read and, you know, I just kind of pass over. But to really consider, and we ought to consider, what, I mean, what is it's really saying here. I mean, think about this. It says the Lord, God, will establish a defense against his enemies and what? Silence his foes. But through what? Or Through whom? The praise of babies and little ones. When we talk about discipling the next generation, we need to think about, we tend to think about what they get from us. But what about what we get from them? You want to see God really move in your life, your family, our church, our city, our region? Teach our kids our kids to pray and then let them pray for you and see what happens. And also ask your kids and be surprised at the different and often better understanding they have than we do. Allie is going to touch on that at the end. Another translation of this verse says that it drowns out the chatter of the faithless. And I was thinking, how much chatter... Is my daughter and my son and our kids hearing today from school friends? I mean, you heard on the video, how many high school friends does she have that are believers? None. From the media, from social media or the internet. Now, Lynn and I are pretty diligent about boundaries of, you know, the amount and the type of things um, we let them watch. But no matter how much you try to limit or shield young eyes from seeing or hearing things, they're going to hear some of the chatter of the culture. But the goal is to, as it says in scripture, drown it out. As White says, the the, uh, woman that I was talking about, if leading kids towards a lifetime of worship conquers the cries of the enemy in this way, Wouldn't all of us rush to help our children grow in adoration and praise of the word? So it's about them. I mean, this is what we're talking about, but it's also about us and what it does for us, but what we ought to do, what the mandate is. The main point for Psalm 8 is actually the call for creating a space for kids to worship. Whether it be in music or visual arts or some other form of expression, That's what we're doing already in large run Sundays and in neighborhood gatherings on Sundays. Every time you create a space for kids to worship, you're literally creating a space where the enemy has to be quiet, has to be silenced, silencing the foe. That's powerful, isn't it? I think. It helps kids grow spiritually healthy and is one of the ways that battles are won within the whole family of God. Finally, Psalm 78, and I'm going to read a little bit more of this, but starting at verse one. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. This is either David or one of the Psalters saying this. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter, utter the hidden things, things from of old things that we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. So if you stop there, you, just listen to the psalmist, how he's referencing his discipleship here. That's something that, you know, is easy to breeze past, but this didn't come out of nowhere. He's honoring the discipleship that came before him and that he experienced. Verse four, we will not hide from their descendants. We will tell The next generation, the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, and the wonders he has done. And verse five and six are powerful. He decreed statues for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn Would turn their children and their children and their children's children and their children's children's children and on and on and on. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. So when we are committed to tell the truth about God to the next generation and inviting them to the journey of the life with Jesus, we are transforming the future. And changing the culture, and well, God is supremely sovereign and does what He wants when He wants. Maybe we are even ushering in the next great revival in our region and our nation. You heard it on the video, and we did. We talked to some of the other kids, and we didn't coach them um, to what well, to say. But we found out they are all crying for revival for their generation. And who better to cry for it than them? Well, I think we can add us to that mix and be praying for revival in that generation. So the takeaway, the application, the strategies. One of the things I like to say is that hopefully, as a church, as people of God, we don't strategize Uh, what we're supposed to do by doing research and think and pray and put systems into place and then say, oh God, bless this. Rather, we ask God, what are your strategies? How do we follow what you're doing? What do we do? What kind of research should we do? What systems should we put in place? What do you want us to do to raise up mighty men and women of God who will know your love for them and the world Be dedicated to you and pray revival into our land. What do we do? Let me just back up before I close. For the past few years, Chris and Nicole Waugh ran the youth group and Nate and Becky ran the children's ministry. They gave gave them themselves and brought us into new ways of discipling, even during the pandemic they led and exceeded even what I thought we could do as a body. And I can say this, and I've asked my kids about this. My kids owe much of their spiritual growth and love for the church because of them. So as we move into this new season of the Run Hybrid, we're also moving into a new season of youth group with volunteer parents and new kids director, Ali Lassan. So we're going to experiment with some new models. And uh, with that, we're looking for volunteers. Because the mandate is that we as people, now I'm not saying that everybody has to be a kid's worker or, you know, but as a body, it is the mandate of God that we raise up our kids. And so we're looking for volunteers. Volunteers. So with that, I'm going to ask Allie to come in and fill in the details of one of the uh, things that we're going to be doing as a takeaway.
4: Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Allie, like John said. Um, so I'm excited to share a little bit about what it's going to look like on the second and fourth Sundays of the month when we're gathered with our, our neighborhood gatherings. So the, f- the first and the third Sundays will be here just like this. And just like John said, um, the kids ministry and the youth group are staying the same. But what does it look like when we have all our little kids and babies and toddlers and um, all the ages um, together? Um, so. <clears throat> As was kind of mentioned before, um, there's been a team of people who have been working on um, thinking through this and praying about it and researching. Um, and we just happened to stumble, stumble upon um, this organization called Pebbles and Stones that is doing just that. They're providing um, a framework for uh, inter- intergenerational groups, to worship God together, and to um, build relationships with, relationships with each other. Um, and so um, we are going to start implementing that, and I'm really excited to see, um, see, see how that all comes together. Um, basically, what that looks like, and it's, it's a framework that's based on the teaching style of Jesus. Um, so that incorporates um, biblical storytelling, just like Jesus taught through stories, and um, that's followed by a time of, um, where we break into, into small groups. And there's a time of listening prayer um, and processing that through writing or drawing. Um, and then a time of sharing, where everybody gets a chance to, to share um, with the people in their group and pray for each other. So it's pretty simple. Um, but there's something really intentional and beautiful about it that um, it brings all of us together and gives everybody a chance um, to, to, yeah, interact with people of all different ages. Um, so we did a, a pilot of this um, in our small community this past Sunday and we were really encouraged by, um, by what happened and just really excited for the, for the potential of what it's gonna look like as we equip all of our small communities to use this as well. Um, so stay tuned, there's equipping and training coming and you'll get to um, experience that for yourself in the small communities. And um, so I just wanted to share uh, in closing <laughs> for my piece, um, a quote that I re- uh, stumbled upon in my research that has been really influential to me. Um, and I thought it might be encouraging to you all. So it says, what children need most is to be integrated into God's life through relational fellowship with other believers. I, I know this is the, the person writing it said. I know of one community in Australia who, after twenty years of sharing God's life together as families, could say that they had not lost one child to the faith as they grew into adulthood. And um, so that's my prayer for Ren that we could say that in twenty years that we have not lost a single child. So, thank you. Thank you. So
5: um, I'll just pray for us quickly. Um, God, thank you for all these um, fun options that we can do together as a church body. God, I just thank you for all the ways that you're growing us together, deepening our relationships with each other, deepening our faith. God, I thank you for the mandate to love our kids. Like, what an exciting, joyous thing that, like, even from my perspective, a single person I can... Just, like, feel part of the family and, and help raise the next generation. And so, God, I just thank you that these words that you spoke to us today through, through the body would just settle in our hearts um, and bear, bear much fruit. God, we'd be thinking about it and meditating on it and talking to each other about it and strategizing with the Holy Spirit. How can I um, love the kids the way that you love them? So, God, give us that grace. Give us that courage. Um, give us eyes to see them. Um, and, and space to let them pray, and prophesy, and be who they are. God, I thank you that our kids will walk um, in, in all the purposes that you have for them. Uh, we just love you. I pray a blessing over the church today that they'll go in your peace. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Love you guys.